I like the question, why is Jill Ellis? everybody welcome to a new episode of two drunk fans it's going to be our last episode of 2017 thank god this garbage year is almost over gab what are you drinking it wasn't the worst year um i am at a bar and i'm I'm going through a fruity cocktail phase so i'm having pineapple cranberry juice and vodka i mean that sounds delicious it it does, but it's not what I normally drink, and for whatever reason, it, it all started a few nights ago. I went out to a bar, and I had, like, a pineapple, like, like coconut drink, and it just triggered something, like, tropical in me. So I've been like, man, I just want more, like, pineapple drinks. Yeah. Pineapple, it, so, it cleans you out, you know? Yeah. No, totally. And, you know, I'm on a staycation, so... I might as well indulge a little bit. So that's what I've been doing. Um, What are you enjoying today? So I just got back to Boston after 10 days at my folks. And I immediately went and picked up a new bottle of soju at the liquor store. They didn't have Uh the flavors I like, which are peach and grapefruit. So I tried apple and it's disgusting. So I'm not drinking anything. I'm drinking water. Ugh. What, how many hurricanes did you have while you were in Louisiana? None. I don't drink when I'm around my parents. Are you around your parents the entire time you're down there? Pretty much, yeah. Oh, well. All right. I went out one night and I had like a beer while I was out with friends and that was about it. Oh, boy. we got to go to New Orleans We do have to go to New Orleans. You can just wander through the French Quarter. I feel like you could tell me about all the really good food. I can Maybe you. not, like, the New Orleans places, but you could at least steer me in the right direction of, like, no, you need to try this. I can I can tell you whether the food is good or not. I just couldn't tell you, like, where to find it. I'm not a... I haven't been in New Orleans in a couple years, so... Right, right. Yeah. But you would be a much better tour guide than I would be for myself. Sure, yeah. Well, Let's we'll, go to New Orleans. Okay, we'll go to New Orleans. We'll do a special episode from New Orleans. Yeah, we need Woso to go to New Orleans. So. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. Write it off as a business expense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hmm. Is this a business? No. It's, we don't, haven't made it a business, so none of our expenses are business expenses. No, they're pleasure expenses. <laughs> they are. This is a hobby of ours. When the, when the, the great reckoning comes, this will be our skill that we contribute to our community. It'll be the name of this episode, Expensive Pleasures, and then we'll get all kinds of wrong Google hits. <laughs> Hey, you know what? At least they're not iTunes hits, because iTunes doesn't want us. Oh, God. We'll try again in 2018. Well, speaking of 2018, 2018 is going to be a new year, so let's look forward. We've already kind of, you know, spent the entire year talking about all the crazy shit that happened. Um, Coaches getting fired, coaches moving around, players moving, new CBAs, losses, wins. But in 2018... You know, it's a new year. It's a it's a chance to start fresh, to do things better or worse. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it is the year before we qualify. We have World Cup qualifiers happening all year. 
and it's the year before the World Cup. So traditionally, this is the year where everybody forgets about women's soccer. The pendulum swings all the way over to what is women's soccer? Women play soccer until next year where it picks up all that speed from the World Cup. Yeah, it'll it'll pick up around October of next year because of qualifiers. So uh, I was hoping you'd say NWSL final. Nope. <laughs> because of qualifiers, people will be yeah. like, oh, the United States beat like uh, Costa Rica by six Costa nothing. <laughs> Good job, them. And, you know, for a couple of days, we'll be like, yeah, the women qualified, the men didn't, blah, 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 blah. And maybe all of our soccer writer friends will get jobs again. Oh, God. We just, it's not a stable industry if the men don't qualify and suddenly everything gets scrapped. I know. I know. It's awful. I don't want to think about it. Let's think about let's think about other awful questions to contemplate in 2018 because we asked Sure. Yeah, we asked on Twitter, what are some woso questions you guys have been thinking about as we head into the new year? We got some good replies. Let's just go down the list. <clears throat> All right, I'm ready. Rapid fire. I'm not looking at Twitter right now. I'm sitting here in a booth with my eyes closed ready to answer whatever you put in front of me. Just ready to achieve like Nirvana. Woso yes, Nirvana. Okay. That too. Uh, I am looking at Twitter because that's my life. I'm just stuck to a screen all the time. It's probably not good for me, but, you know, have to cope somehow with the crushing expectation of life. Anyway, so first one, our friend Fitz Campbell. Will Utah fans stick around after the first couple games? They goddamn better after what Laura Harvey is going to do to this squad. I think it's encouraging. I think RSL sent out some message that they already have quite a few season ticket holder like reservations like over a thousand i want to say yeah i think they're pushing two thousand season ticket holders and they're estimating like twelve thousand a match orlando also forecast pretty big so i don't want to say that that that's something that people should believe in i think it would be great if they were in that seven to eight range Per match. I I'm, I I wanna I wanna pin the quote of twelve thousand to the wall. I want that to be the mark that they're trying to hit, and I want them to live up to it. I think that Salt Lake is going to enjoy the squad. I think this is going to be a situation where Laura Harvey is actually going to put together a really phenomenal team. Um, whether or not they're going to come out of the gates and and do something magic in the first season. You know, that's really tough um, when she's starting over with a completely different group of players. But I I think that the Salt Lake City fan base um, has stuck with RSL. They had a pretty rough last season, um, but they've, they've been a pretty committed fan base. I'm excited to see uh, um, what's going to happen with supporters culture. Um, because some of the first hot takes have been extremely hot and not um, exactly pleasant. And, you know, I, I do think that there is a lot of potential in the Salt Lake market. I mean, Laura Harvey did make her first trade today as uh, Utah Royals head coach where Becky Sa- no, not Becky Sauerbrunn. God, can you imagine the heart attacks if she traded Becky Sauerbrunn? Wow. Dude, I, the fact they signed her. They they signed her. Like right away. She was number 1 their priority. I'm like, she she was she was the very first player uh from FC Casey who officially yeah. signed and that speaks volumes. 
if you trade Becky Sauerbrunn, you better be getting like at least an Alex Morgan in return, that level of but I would I would actually keep a Becky it's harder to find a good C V than it is a good forward, I think. So Dude, and it's harder to find a good captain. Good captain, you're right. A good captain, a good C B a vet. Um the only the only limiting factor I could see with, with having Becky uh on on squad is she just she you have to know women's soccer to realize what a big deal that is. So Harvey traded uh Gibbons and Shea Groom and she got Kelly O'Hara and Taylor Lytle and she switched places as well with Sky Blue in the draft. So now Utah goes fourth overall and I believe Sky Blue took the twenty eighth overall pick. Twenty something. So, so what what picks does Utah have at this point? I'm just sitting here and I'm going, there aren't more than two college players who are worth it in the draft. So if you're not one or two, then it's funny money. Okay, so with the trade, Utah, formerly FCKC, has, it looks like, one pick in the first round. And that's number four? Yeah. That's Sky, wow. Sky Blue's old spot. And then... I think they'll have another pick in the second round, 14 overall, it looks like. And then a third pick in the last round. The fact that we draw 40-some-odd players out of the college game into the league, and how many of them actually had an impact last year? Yeah, and also, even though 40 may get drafted, not all 40 get signed as well. So it's like right. 40 right. drafted and probably... I'd like to see how many get signed from season to season, like what the percentage is. But what, maybe half or 25, maybe even 30 get signed? But yeah. certainly not all. And then out of that, a lot of them still need to get seasoned up. I'd, I'd say there's not that many that make an immediate season one impact. Roosevelt could have been that kind of player, but you know, that turned out. Well, I mean, she was for the first, you know, three, four games. Yeah. Um, how, who has picks one, two, and three before you talk? Looks like Spirit 1, Breakers 2, Houston Dash 3. So those are the teams I would say Laura Harvey probably has a target on Mm -hmm. to make more trades with. Interesting. Interesting. Like, what would the Breakers Breakers want in order to get, to give them the number two draft pick? Uh, We need defensive help, I think. Our midfield, once Rose is healthy, we've got some options there. And maybe... We'd want to look at someone who could pair well with Tasha Dowie up front. Maybe a defender, though, because our our defense was just so anemic last year between injuries and then the way they actually played. So kind of I would want to look there first. Becky Sauerbrunn. If they traded us Becky Sauerbrunn, <laughs> we'd make a trade. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's totally going to happen. Yeah, totally. definitely. Could you imagine Becky Sauerbrunn playing in Boston, though? I would die. Every time they played, I would die. Just huddled in a corner, rocking back and forth. Like, tell me when it's over. All right. What about Kelly O'Hara coming back to Boston? I think that would be excellent. That would be great. Like, what What if what if today's trade is bait? Bait? Oh, my God. So, Laura Harvey. Like, what, what, what if today's trade isn't, isn't the end game for Laura Harvey? She just wants Kelly O'Hara's O'Hara. rights so that she can shop her around to a team who really wants, like, a versatile fullback slash midfielder? Winger? Yeah, I mean, let's let's think about Kelly O'Hara playing for Laura Harvey. Does that make sense? 
It might depend on who else she brings into that Utah team. I don't have the FCKC roster on my mind. Like, I can't think it up right now, but O'Hara on her own is, she's a great asset. I'd say she was one of the top 10 players in NWSL last season. Definitely top 15, at least. Oh, I, I, I totally agree. I'm just trying to think of the way, yeah. I'm just trying to think of the way that Laura Harvey plays and builds her team and what Kelly O'Hara does. You know what I mean? Yeah, so in Seattle, I don't know if this was my plan. She had a defense that all tended to drop, and they would give midfielders way too much space. I mean, that's how Sam Uh Kerr (laughs) wrecked them so often. Kelly O'Hara definitely has the engine not to get caught out to drop with the rest of the line, but... But Kelly O'Hara also pushes forward, and Laura Harvey likes that. Yeah. Laura Harvey really likes that. So maybe maybe Laura Harvey really wants to coach Kelly O'Hara, and I'm just barking up the wrong tree. Maybe. You just don't know. Maybe she will leverage her for something else later. There's plenty of time left before the draft. I just think that there's there's more power in having one of the top two draft picks than having one of the top five draft picks. I don't think Laura Harvey's done. Period. No, I don't and think she's done either. Is, that's going to be on my tombstone because that's an evergreen statement. I mean, there have been rumblings about further moves. I think Allison Lee maybe tweeted today that there might be more movement for national team players in in this off season. So we'll see. Okay, here's 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 the thing. Here's the thing I want to talk about about Laura Harvey. Okay. So for five years, she's played or she's coached under the Predmores and the rain structure and everything like that. Now that she's under a larger group or kind of if you think of a larger umbrella and has like more assets, do you think that she is going to be able to accomplish more than she was with the rain? That's an interesting question. I mean, the rain certainly got a hell of a bang for their buck when they had Harvey. But with our cell resources... I mean, RSL just built a brand new training facility. Yeah. Could they attract someone on a Marta level? That's an interesting question. Or, you know, like, could... could Laura Harvey has got a, quite a few Japanese players mm-hmm. for Seattle. Could she pull the same weight for the rain? For RSL? Um, yeah, I think you have a point there where... If she could attract a certain caliber of international, like Kawasumi, Rumi Utsugi in Seattle, and then she's got our cell resources to work with, even though technically she should have about the same level of money, but she can offer, you know, top-notch training facility, great um, home stadium, good crowds, and it's not like it's the worst place in the world to live either. Uh, Yeah, she might be able to pull more names, bigger names from the international circuit, or more names, bigger names from within the domestic, you know, availability list. I, I just, I think it makes it much more attractive. I'm actually kind of excited to see what type of play she develops with this new squad, because, like, the way she played at Arsenal, or the way she developed that team, was different than the way that she played in Seattle. Like, every team is different. She's able to draw the qualities out of the players. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And so it makes me go, huh, what is she going to do with the former FCKC now slightly all changed up? Like, is this a team that's going to be way more defensive? 
Is this a team that's going to hold on to the the record for least goals allowed and all that stuff? That's interesting. Because... Does, does Nicole Barnhart stay? I mean, Vladko and Harvey are two different types of genius. And I think that Vladko, like, this is just going to be such a cool year. And I really hope that Salt Lake City fans show up. And I think that they will. I mean, I okay, so I grew up three miles outside of Salt Lake City in a small town called Idaho Falls. And I played competitive soccer when I was a kid, like club soccer. And that region is rich of little kids playing. And again, not to say that Woso needs to cater, but there is a rich demographic there, which I think is going to lead to a lot of butts in seats. Now, it's whether or not Real, or not Real, the Royals can create an atmosphere that attracts adults to more than one game a year. I really hope so. I like, I, I would love them to aim for 12,000. Like, and if they only get, only quote unquote, get seven or 8,000, that's great. But I, I like it. I like to see a team aiming big, you know, going like, yeah, it's women's soccer. Why shouldn't we aim for 12, 13, 14,000 a game? Like, why shouldn't we? Instead of going like, oh, well, we're realistically only in three or four. So let's just. Let's be happy with that. Yeah. Be ambitious. Yeah, I mean, let's shoot for 12. Do, like, also, it comes back to, we have a brand new science experiment, a social experiment to see, hey, what if a team in Utah does Pride Night? Hmm. I'm not... You know, like, what What if What if they do that? What if they have a sports group or a front office that's open to those types of marketing campaigns? And what if, what if we have a front office or or an SG culture that really goes after those LGBTQ demographics. I'm going to admittedly, I'm not super familiar with the pride scene in Salt Lake City or in Utah, but I think there have been like pride parades and stuff somewhere in the state, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not like it's hushed or anything like that. It is, it is a very Mormon culture, but um, it's, and it's I, I wouldn't say it's something that's like loudly celebrated like mm-hmm. it is in other parts of the country, but I also wouldn't say that there's like a, a movement against it. I just, I'm looking at this as, is this a uh, social experiment that we can kind of view? What do they do? Right. Do they, are they going to be as, um, a lot of other teams have been, very openly inclusive it's not nobody pushed them into it they're just like yeah of course we're gonna have a pride night this year right yeah you, yeah i get your point that's interesting we'll see what happens um it's it's so interesting to see where sports and like uh politics intersect you know um, the politics of identity it's 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 one of the reasons why when everyone's like keep politics out of them like that's impossible like by the nature of who plays and who watches sorry buddy well, it's impossible because sports is a social construct, and a social construct relies on politics to define the boundaries. Yeah, like, some of the reasons why people love sports are political. Like, you cannot divorce, you know, any of that stuff out. So, that's that's nice for you, that you can live parts of your life without having to ever consider anything political, but for the rest of us. Anyway, let's... Move on to the next question. That was one question, Gab. <laughs> that was one question. I am three quarters of the way through my double 
uh, vodka, pineapple, cranberry. So I may need to order another. All right. So which this wouldn't be the end of the world. No, it's Friday. You know, just let loose. Blast everybody. I, it, I have no idea what day it is because I've been on vacation all week. Damn. All right. This one's from Kelly. When will Allison Company realize that Harris, Nayer, and Campbell aren't women's national team number one material? Oof. So I think there's some parts of this that I would not necessarily argue with, but be like, well, actually. You would well actually tell me on this. Where I would be like. (laughs) No, stick with well actually. I think we need to clarify. I think Nayer's capable of being a national team number one. I think she had a really bad 2017 Partially, God, those last matches were horrible. Yeah, partially due to a combination of some kind of injury that they just weren't talking about. But it was like an open secret. We all knew she was somehow injured. Um, and she'd had it for months. And it honestly looks like she's been coached badly. Like, she's regressed somehow. You know what I'm saying? It, it feels like... Are, are you Are you blaming Rory? No, not Rory, but like whoever's goalkeeper coach, maybe for the national team or even for the Red Stars, maybe more for the national team, where it's like she looks like she's been given too many conflicting instructions and she doesn't know how to execute the way she she used to be a lot steadier, more. It seemed like she was more sure of herself. And now it seems like she's been told to do other things more and she's not doing them well. Okay, let me float an idea by you. Okay. Do you think that that is a result of being the number one as opposed to before when she was just trying to scrape her way into a recurring role on the women's national team? I wouldn't completely dismiss that idea because we all know that psychology is a huge role in how you play. And yeah, I could see her. It's different when you're when people don't have as many expectations for you, you just have to be competent. And then now you're number one. Jill Ellis is telling the media, yeah, she's my number one. And then it's like, oh, shit. I have to... Now you got the world on your shoulders. Yeah. I have to be number one. Right. Alyssa Nair's no Hope Solo. In terms of mentality. I think that's Like, fair. Hope Solo would stand up in front of any crowd and be like, I am the best goalkeeper in the world. Yeah, whether she and part of me, part of me feels like that's what allows her allowed her to be the best goalkeeper in the world. She had that cockiness and that attitude. A listener doesn't have it. Ashlyn Harris kind of has it, but she doesn't show up and prove it. Yeah, you and I have discussed before several times. Like it's so interesting the mentality where you have to balance self belief with hopefully for most athletes, the ability to like criticize yourself so you can improve. Mm-hmm. Like believing, yes, I am number one and I can do, I can be the best person on that field while also accepting, but I can always be better. That's And I feel like it's different for female athletes that it's almost like, you know, we're at this tipping point in terms of professionalism within this sport that, the Crystal Duns of the world, they might handle pressure a bit differently than the Alex Morgans. And they're only like three years apart. I mean, it's the same as like when you have 99 goals, everyone's like, when are you going to score number 100? But when you have nine goals, no one gives a shit. Exactly. Like when you score, you get to run around like a fool on the pitch. When you have 99 goals and you score, all right, cool. We expected that. 
when you're when you're a listener at this point, we expect you to have a shutout. When you have a shitty game where the other team scores three goals against you and two of them look like you just weren't on the same page as your defense, like we're going to call that shit out because we expect better. But if a listener were the backup and had that type of match, well, that was a great learning experience. There's this there's this whole double double speak about where the player is in the preference of the head coach and how the player performs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I would also say with Campbell, she's just so young, especially yeah. for a keeper. Like if she were a forward and she's, she's what, 23, 24? Even still yeah. for a forward, I'd be like, she's still young. She still has a couple years developing. So especially for a keeper... I would want to see her go through another full NWSL season, especially one where there aren't weird politics around whether she's going to play or um, Lydia Williams is going to play. And then Harris, Harris and Nair, I think they've both shown us their peak, like their peak capability, maybe. Yeah, unfortunately. I think they've both shown us. Now, I'm not going to leave out the possibility that either one of them could push the bar a little higher, but I feel like we've seen them approach what their 100% could be. Well, I feel like, so Barnhart is no longer a conversation piece because she got extremely injured. Um, she was just injury prone uh, at, at a certain point. I feel like uh, Nair and Harris are approaching that point where they, every every practice, you have to hold your breath. Are they going to get injured and be out for three months? It has a significant impact on their club play it has a significant impact on what the player pool looks like. And you were going to disagree with me there? Yeah, I don't have the same feeling. I don't feel like either of them is really that fragile right right now or, or you know, in the coming years. I think... I, I feel like they have been. Maybe Harris. She has been a little more injury-prone than Nair. But you, you mentioned that Nair was playing with a lingering injury. Yeah, but she's not injury-prone. She had an injury I mean, if this it's, year. Well, if it's a lingering injury, then I would say you're injury prone. They're not the same thing, though. Like, if you have a lingering injury and you're forced to play on it constantly without rest, then of course it's going to linger. That's not injury prone. That's just bad management, like, you know, Morgan Bryan style. So so maybe maybe I don't mean injury prone, then. Maybe I mean they have, they have long-term injuries. Well, that's what the off-season's for, healing. I hope so. I hope so too. I mean, Harris. I thought I she so. she healed up well during the season. She had that huge quad injury, right? And then I, when she came back, I thought she did very well, like for having for coming off an injury and like having to leap back in in the middle of the season. I'm not gonna say she was totally. the best keeper in the league, but she recovered very well. But she had a significant injury that impacted both club and national team yeah. duty. Yeah, but I. I'm not going to say either one of them is like on that Nicole Barnhart level yet. I just don't. Yeah, nobody, nobody's a robot with their ankles yet. Yeah, I don't feel that. <clears throat> okay, next okay. question. This one is from Sarah. What should the NWSL Players Association prioritize this year, and what do you think they can reasonably achieve? Oh, dude, that's a, <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. I don't know if the Players Association themselves have spelled out just yet because they're still getting everything they this year that was about getting organized naming player reps and kind of just putting themselves out there maybe in this off season they're like having meetings and stuff you know conference i feel like 
I feel like the Players Association, if I were on or working with them in some way, shape, or form, I would want to be working toward alignment with the national team. Like, are we on the same page with what we want, with what national team players either want for us, want for themselves, or are communicating outside of this group? So the the new CBA that the national team negotiated does include consideration for bringing NWSL standards up. So that might be like some two-way communication happening there where the national team players are like, okay, we're going to negotiate it from this side and you guys push from your side and hopefully between the two of us, we can find something, you know, we can make something happen. Totally. I, I think keep keep promoting that. Keep working on alignment there because basically now you have two players unions. I think the standards that they would want to push for from both sides include uh, facilities, trainers and i don't know if they would necessarily push for salary knowing what everybody knows about you know ownership groups because the salary cap is limited by the poorest ownership group in the league in, instead of the richest so you can't go by you know orlando or portland money you got to go by like boston or sky blue money but I think that that the players, a lot like the owners, need to constantly be pushing the envelope. And I don't think that the Players Association would. Um, I don't think any union lawyer would tell them, okay, now shoot for the stars. But it would be something like, you know, how do we, how do we get some sort of, you know, is there an opportunity for players to get a percent of ticket sales at once they surpass a certain number of ticket sales? Yeah. Like what what is what is the incentive for players to try to get more people more butts into seats or more merch sold? Um do we have an opportunity like what the the hockey league has where hey, if I sell my name on a back of a kit, I get $25 for every kit sold. I think all of those are realistic baby steps that the players association could be working with either the league or the front offices to say, hey, you know, this is going to help subsidize our low income. I think one of the things that they should push for is that every team should start looking for a higher education partner so that Mm -hmm. if you play for an NWSL team, you have the option to get a low or no cost grad degree while you're playing. Or like you can enter some kind of training program through a, a local university. I I also think that it would be beneficial if the players were given the opportunity to actually earn their different coaching licenses yeah, and the teams too. paid for it. I mean, we know y'all Averbush has got her finger on the pulse of that. She could help you get that all squared away. Yeah, honestly, U.S. soccer should just be offering that. The players shouldn't have to be nickel and diming themselves or or begging for for coaching licenses u.s soccer should be like every single person who plays for a pro league like there's a pathway to coaching and this is what it is and we're going to make it obvious and easy for you to access Uh 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 what else what else um i do think that there is something something that the players association could be working toward to make trades have some sort of player sensitivity to them. Like, obviously, players aren't going to be able to control where they go or where they play, but there should be some sort of rule or clause that says, 
a player can't be traded more than twice per one season. Yeah, yeah. No, I I think that's fair. Like, taking into account, you know, bouncing around some of these players who play for three or four teams in a season. Like, how can... And it also impacts fan loyalty. How can you stay loyal to the team when at any minute, you know, your player might be bouncing out of there and they've been there for, you know, a month or whatever. Christy Munoz. So, yeah, I think that's that's fair. Limiting trades per season or, like, if you want to trade a player more often, then there has to be some kind of uh, incentive, like financial incentive. Like, if you get traded for a third time, then you get some kind of, I don't know, bonus or whatever to, sure. to make up sure. for bouncing around. I don't know. There, there are a lot of things. There's a lot of low-hanging fruit in the league um, that the Players Association could start to tackle. And it would, it would be interesting to kind of see or hear what's on their agenda at some point. I think it would be good if they start advocating for little quality of life changes for the lowest tier players instead of necessarily, not instead of, but maybe prioritizing that instead of um, some of the high profile causes like salary. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Not that they mm-hmm. shouldn't push for salary. They should push for salary and then it would be the team, the league's responsibility to be like, no, we can't realistically do that this year, but we hear you. Right, and then it comes back on the league's PR people to say, look, you know, we're, you guys are at the capacity of the lowest paying team. Yeah, yeah. And we can't we can't up it. And then it comes back to pressure on that team to say, okay, well, how do you increase what you can pay? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, think, I think there are realistic goals, and then I think there are long-term goals. I think we covered both of them. Okay. Okay, next question, Nicole. Will NWSL get a commissioner? Does it need one? I volunteer. As tribute. Yeah, I think it does need a commissioner. It needs someone who's empowered to make the kind of top-down decisions and change and act as a bridge with U.S. soccer instead of, you know, I I, I just, I'm curious how it impacted Amanda's Duffy. <laughs> I'm curious how it impacted Amanda's Amanda. Duffy? Her Duff, yeah. <laughs> okay i'm curious how it impacted amanda duffy's ability to run the league knowing this entire time she's interim you know knowing that her changes her directives may not necessarily be permanent she might not necessarily have the full backing of the owners because she's not going to be here the you know in the future right and you know, the commissioner needs to be focused on different things than what Amanda Duffy is focused on in her day-to-day. Yeah, Duffy did a good job logistically keeping the league going, but was she actually doing the, like, hype man commissioner stuff that was needed to grow the league? Yeah, I mean, who who really brought RSL on board, or Salt Lake on board? You know, like, who's actually going out and creating relationships with other ownership groups for expansion. You know, are we really going to expand by two teams next year? Now, is it one? Because RSL, you know, came in early. Uh, what are, what's, what's our situation regarding sponsorship? Like, those things shouldn't fall on Amanda Duffy's plate. They need to fall on somebody who can focus on them full time. So, yes, to answer the question, it does need a commission. Will it get one? If they don't have a commissioner going into the 2018 season, I think that's a really bad look. 
I'm just like, what is truly Foudy doing? <laughs> Not wanting to be in charge of shit. She just wants to write books, eat donuts, and commentate on games. Hey, she can do all that as commissioner. Like, you just rub elbows with people. You can rub elbows with donut makers. You can write books about how beautiful the game is. Like, come on. We need her. Okay, here's a question. Raquel Acevedo, for which NWSL team will LaRue find herself playing for now that Harvey will be coaching the Salt Lake City team? Oh, shit. I totally, I totally forgot about that drama. (laughs) Sid LaRue is probably going to lose her national team allocation. Yeah. So she's not going to be a subsidized player anymore. She's going to be a salaried player. Yeah, and she's not going to be on the lower end of that salary. She's an expensive salary player now. So is Laura Harvey going to be like, mm, doesn't really fit into the team that I have now. Am I going to trade her? And then that becomes, well, who wants Sid LaRue now? Like, at that price. I'm not well, saying okay, she's... does it become who wants Sid LaRue, or does it become where does Sid want to go? Cause she already fucked her over once by saying, hey, I would really like to, and Harvey traded her to Rochester. I think... That's like, a, you don't get to say where you go. No, she doesn't have that kind of pull anymore. And I think LaRue's going to ask for what she thinks she's worth. It's going to be too much for what a lot of teams are willing to pay for a forward who doesn't necessarily produce. I mean, of course, a player should advocate for themselves and ask for the salary they think they deserve. And then it's a team's right to be like, yeah, but look at how many goals you score. Look how many assists you got. We can't afford that on this salary cap, we would rather get like a player who's maybe a tier below you, but either has the same production rate for less for less money, or maybe even might do better. They're younger and they're a development project. Yeah, but that's negotiation. Yeah, yeah. I, I think if she uh, wants does, to go anywhere else, she'll does, have to take oh, go, a pay go cut. Go ahead, sorry, sorry. No, 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 I just think if she goes somewhere else, she'll have to take a pay cut, that's all. What if she goes to Seattle? Seattle could use another Badger up front. Could you imagine Sid LaRue? Like, we saw it. We saw Sid LaRue and Jess Fishlock on the same team. Maybe. Blacko, he he knows Sid's capabilities. And I thought he um he got a decent amount out of her at FCKC, trying to, you know, pair her off with, like, Shea Groom or, um, or with uh, Brittany Ratcliffe. This is sad. FCKC webpage still exists and you can still like look at the roster and stuff it's just i know it'll probably just go down whenever the domain expires but it's it's sad a little bit just redirect it seattle salt lake somebody needs to just redirect it it's it's so sad (laughs) it's we're piranhas we're piranhas in this league Okay. It happened with Rochester, it happened with Seattle, or with Salt Lake. Like, we're piranhas. It's just the way we roll. So your prediction is LaRue might find herself back in Seattle? I I would say Seattle is probably the best bet. Uh-huh. I, where LaRue would end up. She could also end up in Houston. Uh, Sam Kerr might want out of Sky Blue, in which case I could see them being like, how are we going to replace her? We can't. Let's just get Sid LaRue. Why does Sam Kerr want Alice Guy Blue? Alright, next question. Maria, next question. Maria Mentado, is 2019 the last year the United States can legitimately be called the favorites to win the World Cup, 
or has that ship passed and now a new world order will emerge? I think it's emerged already. Yeah, when when were we the favorites last time? Maybe 2011, that would be the last year, I want to say. Maybe. Oh, the year the the year we lost. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And we weren't the favorites before that either. For 2007? Yeah. I, I don't it, think we've been the favorites for a long time. I think it fluctuates, too, by the cycle. It's not necessarily... I think you have to look at what's been going on in the four years leading up to the World Cup, because there's so many teams now who could legitimately push to the top at any given time. It's a matter of inches sometimes who's surging past whom. Yeah, it is. <laughs> oh, yeah, God. it is. So... <laughs> For 2019, I mean, obviously we have a whole year and a half to lead into that. Is the United States a favorite to win? Sure. I don't think we should ever be counted out of the top three or four countries to win the World Cup, you know, at least for the next cycle or so. Are we the favorite? Mm. I mean, if you think the U.S. is the favorite to win, your national pride is showing. I mean, I think there's arguments you can make for that, but there's plenty of arguments you can make against it, too. So it's not... Totally. Yeah. And I I just, you know, the, the cycle, while you say it's 18 months away, like, it's here. And every game that the women's national, the U.S. Women's National Team plays next year has to be definitive. And that's the pressure that Jill Ellis is under at this point. Like, she needs to bring it, not just to prove that we are a contender because um, I actually, I, I wouldn't even put us in the top like four. Uh-huh. Um, I would say we're the top CONCACAF team, but I mean, Europe is loaded and their, their trajectory is amazing compared to ours. Don't forget Australia. Yeah. I mean, they're just, I just don't know if they can keep up the momentum. Like can Sam Kerr score 72 hat tricks next season i I don't know i was thinking that too like can she possibly repeat 2017 consistently without bursting into flames yeah i mean if if she is able to australia is ranked higher than the u.s going into the world cup Wow! like we are we are ranked highly because of who we are and the legacy and the traditions that we have um, and the types of players and the type of program that there is. But, I mean, the women's national team did not do awesome this year. Jill Ellis, like, we've been talking for most of this year about, like, is she even going to be coaching for the World Cup? Well, Laura Harvey's not in line behind her anymore, so. <laughs> right. Okay, next question. Abby asks, what about youth academies specifically for girls? Don't all the MLS teams have them for boys? Think about how good Christian Pulisic is because he trained at a youth academy in Dortmund. Did Mel Pugh have that opportunity? Aren't they the same age? So it's not really like a specific question, but I think we can talk a little bit about youth academies specifically for girls in that they're starting to emerge like as powerhouses. First we had ECNL, and now that's competing with U.S. Soccer's uh, Development Academy that they've finally established for girls. I think lots of NWSL teams partner with local academies because they, I know on the Boston Breakers end, they have academy where they want to establish a pathway. So like, essentially they want to create homegrown players. Right. And isn't, isn't that one of Boston's like biggest money makers? Uh, the academy is, you know, it, it doesn't not make money. 
when when they're charging like a thousand bucks for Elite U10, yeah, they're making a little money. They're they're making a little cash on the side there. I think it's a uh, yeah. I think it would be good to maybe they can't mandate it right away, but to encourage all the teams to start partnering with academies in preparation for stuff like homegrown rules. And I think homegrown is going to be a thing that this league has to face in the next like five years. Um, I also think it's pretty promising. Like I want to see statistics about NWSL markets and the number of little kids who actually start playing. Like, are NWSL teams in already saturated markets with youth players, or are they growing those markets? Right? Are they making the markets more accessible? Because a big thing with with U.S. soccer and just you know with the U.S. soccer president thing coming up is the whole pay-to-play program. Should NWSL teams buy into the pay-to-play program, or should they develop or try to work towards something different? There's also something to be said about a clear development pathway to the top. I mean, right now, if you're really into it, yes, you know the steps you have to take, but if there's if every single team is affiliated with a, an academy, a development academy, and you know that you know, playing for, you know, the Portland Thorns, U16s, or whatever, will get you in front of coaches and stuff, or, or scouts. There's something to be said for that, too, and, and how it can help, um, how it can help a, a team build uh, its its youth audience and power base. I agree. I, I, I agree that a team can help a player's accessibility, but if a player has to play to get that access... Yeah, I have very strong feelings about pay-to-play, but then the question becomes, well, if we decrease costs, then where else does the money come from? Like, money to pay coaches, money to build or rent out facilities, stuff like that. Like, will there be... Would would coaching suffer because coaches are like, oh, I can no longer make a certain amount of money coaching for an elite team? Or, I mean, isn't U.S. Soccer staying on a hundred million dollars revenue surplus? Yeah, but you know they can't just. There's a certain amount of that they have to use to reinvest, like using money to make more money, the way rich ass people do. So no, and I and and I get that, but uh, I I think part of the reinvest is paying for kids to get a scholarship. Yeah, subsidizing. Like, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that all kids should be able to play soccer for free, but I'm saying that there should be incentives for if you show potential and you can't afford to pay the, to play, then US soccer needs to use part of that $100 million surplus to help those kids who would then turn to track and field or basketball or football or baseball. Like, how do we keep those kids playing soccer? Like, back in the envelope, how much could U.S. soccer real like, how many kids could U.S. soccer realistically subsidize? Because they're, not all that $100 million is going to be available. Obviously, they're going to use some of it to invest, probably, in, like, mutual funds or whatever. And then they want to build, like, a new training center. I don't know why. And then they're going to invest some of that in, like, the senior team programs. But... Like, let's say they use $1 million on, like, scholarships for kids, and each kid needs, like, $1,000. I guess that is a lot of kids that they could subsidize. That's 
a lot. That's way more kids than I would expect them to try to subsidize. That that is significantly more children than I would expect. Like I would I would be joyous if U.S. Soccer said we subsidize ten thousand kids across the United States to play soccer. Kids who could not have afforded to do it in the past, we we paid their fees. So that's ten times a thousand. Ten ten thousand times a thousand. So it's what? So it's ten million dollars. I don't know. They're. I think they need to come at it both ways. One offering subsidies or full scholarships, even partial scholarships for kids, but also mandating that costs go down. Well, like, yeah, but. It comes back to your question of, okay, does our coaching system go down? Some costs I think you can reasonably cut without, without you know, eating into the money that the clubs make. Like, for example, tournament fees are the, I want to know where does the money from, like, tournament fees. So if each kid is having to pay, what, like a hundred bucks uh, to get into a tournament, does the tournament take that? Do the clubs split the money? I don't know, but it that feels like a an area where you could significantly cut costs. It shouldn't cost sure. thousands of dollars to enter a tournament. But are the tournament fees what are deterring kids from playing? No, not necessarily. It's it's the um it's on area that hurts them though. Sure, it's it's deterring the kids from playing on better teams. Teams like the so when I was growing up, the, the really successful teams were the ones who could enter into five tournaments a year because the parents were okay paying $1,000 for tournament fees. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, the team that I played for, maybe we only entered one tournament a year. And we weren't getting all that experience. And it was just like, well, you know, let's do the best we can. Like, I, I just, I feel like the pay-to-play system uh, is not helping us, and it's part of the reason why we're in the situation we're in. So if, if NWSL teams are going to adopt a homegrown system, if they are going to adopt some sort of policy of um, helping out the local community children, it needs to not be pay-to-play. I mean, I would agree that it it needs to be low cost there has to be some kind of low cost or full scholarship option no matter what it's just where does the money come from that's the rough question i don't know i think about like your breakers right yeah like i feel like the breakers lean heavily on the breakers academies for like generating revenue i don't know that they lean super heavily because obviously the academy itself needs to take a cut of that money but it is probably one area where the players can go to make a little extra cash through like coaching sessions and stuff like that. So maybe I've been misinterpreting the lean heavy bit. Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily know how much money the breakers get out of that. I'm sure they get something out of it because the academy gets to slap the breakers name on, right? And it, in turn hopefully that attracts more players and it like legitimizes them and they go and play in in official tournaments and stuff. And at the same time the breakers maybe get a cut out of that. And they have a place where players can go and teach, and the the clubs will buy like group tickets and things like that, so they they contribute to ticket sales. I'm 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 unsure about the financials of that. Maybe I should ask. They're not going to tell me anything, but at least I can ask. <laughs> <laughs> right, but it is one of those things that that makes me go. You know, I hear a lot about the Breakers Academy, and I'm like, all right, well, are you guys 
are you guys looking at this as purely hitting your revenue line, or are you looking at this as a grow-the-game situation? Just like with any club, with any club organization, is this purely a grow-the-game, or is this a revenue? So if any of you have any bright ideas for how to create more money, let us know. Yeah, we're all we're all about trying to make money trees. <laughs> okay. All about uh, it. Next question. All right. I think we can swing back around for a second question from Fitz. Will more high-profile youth players soon opt to skip college? Will the U20s improve enough so they don't embarrass themselves? On the first part, I think we can have an interesting discussion. Will more high-profile youth players soon opt to skip college? I think it kind of depends on the trajectory of the NWSL and maybe on how the United States does in the World Cup. So why do you skip college? Because you feel like it's not going to be a place where you're going to develop and you want to jump into the program sooner because you think it's, you know, it's well, where you're I mean, going to yeah, develop I mean, player. I, I, I feel like it's even a little bit more complex than that. Like, why do you skip college? Maybe you just don't have an interest in continuing your education. And you're like, I would only go to college to play soccer and I can do that and make money. Yeah, like for some of these players, what is the point of going through NCAA? Well, it's so that they can get into the pro league. So if you're good enough to go pro without college, then why not just skip, you know, spending four years at a place where you might get injured because of the compressed schedule and you only play a couple months a year as opposed to going to NWSL? Will more high-profile youth players... Um, is there room for more high-profile youth players to start joining the pro game? Like, between the draft and how many players we have in the league right now, like, what is the turnover rate? Eh, you know, the turnover rate's fairly high. So, yeah, maybe there is going to be room. I, I think there's going to be a lot of room after 2019. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think honestly, we're going to see a lot of the more uh, senior women's national team players. They might not even opt to play in the NWSL in 2019. They might pull an Abby. I think 2019 is the last World Cup for players like Sauerbrunn, maybe Carly Lloyd. Like, she, she yep. wouldn't say it's her last one, but I think realistically it's her last one. Um, I, I think av after that, players might go to Europe to make money and look at a retirement plan and say, all right, well, you know, U.S. soccer is paying my salary, so what can I do on top of that? Because part of the new CBA isn't you only earn this salary if you play in the NWSL. I think we will see more just because the women's game is developing at a rate where we're getting younger players who are more talented sooner. I don't know that we're going to get a huge wave of Mal Pews and Rose Lavelle's anytime soon, but there is, there's going to be, just by the numbers, there's going to be more young talent in general over the coming cycles. So I think we'll see it. I just don't know if there's going to be a big wave of it. Because even if you do have the talent to go, if I were a parent and my 18-year-old's like, I want to play in NWSL, I'd be like, ooh, do you really want to make $30,000 a year? And I just, I would have some reservations about it as opposed to getting your education, which is, you know, really important right now for women's soccer players. But but that's not the case if the player also makes the women's national team. Maybe, but, you know, you never know what could happen. If I'm a parent, I'd be like, yeah, you're hot shit now. It takes one injury for your career to be over. That's it. Sure, sure. But then the player also also got accepted to whatever university. And usually there is a 
option to take a year off. And just, you know, the only thing you're giving up is if you decide to go pro, you can't then go and play college ball. That's the only thing you're giving up by not accepting that college scholarship. Yeah, but what if then you want to go back to college, but you can't play on a soccer scholarship, but your parents can't afford, you know, a four-year top-level university? Like, well, then we're we're in the situation of pay to play. A lot of the players who are playing right now, and a lot of the players who are playing in college, can afford to pay to play. That's true. So if a player can't afford to not take advantage of the scholarship, you better believe that they're going to be going to school. But if the player comes from a family who can go. Yeah, you know, we could actually pay for this without you getting a soccer scholarship. Maybe you could get an academic scholarship or something like that. But I think it comes back to the types of players and types of families who are supporting our youth programs. When do we have to come up with our final roster for 2019? It's like two months out, right? Before the World Cup? Yeah. Like a couple months before the World Cup. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I, I could see, you know, 2019 being a year where, like, three or four kids might throw their hats in the ring. It, don't you think that would be too late, though? Because they want to go pro, right? But then, unless Jalalis has already seen them in camp, then they won't have the benefit of an NWSL season to kind of show off in front of her, really. True, true. So maybe it's this year. Maybe it's this year. That's- you know, do, do kids, do kids uh, straight out of high school... Do they have to go through the draft? That is interesting. Or do you, hmm, maybe it's a case by case basis. Like, well, to join NWSL, yeah, you have to go through the draft probably, but national team, obviously. Right, but but let's say let's say there's a 17 year old <clears throat> somewhere in Colorado who wants to join the NWSL in 2018. Does she have to go through the draft, throw her hat to that ring? Or can she just entertain offers from pro teams? Like, could Portland be talking to this 17-year-old kid and sign her without going through a draft process? I mean, I have no idea. It makes it seem like she would have to throw her hat into the ring. The reason I say that is because I know that players who are even choosing to go pro before they finish college have to throw their hat to the draft ring. So I, mean, I would I would assume, and this is totally an assumption, but I would assume that any player who's looking to end, go pro for the first time would have to go through the draft. So let's let's use Mal Pugh as an example. Could a team have just gotten Mal Pugh's rights, like Portland was trying to two years ago? I can't remember if they could have. I mean, the teams were certainly fighting over her, like that draft pick making it seem like that was the only way that they were going to get her, like you couldn't sign her directly, that implies to me that you have to go through the draft, even if you're coming out of high school. But that's not in the rules. Maybe it lies under mechanisms of acquiring players. You may add a player through distribution process, college draft, trades, discovery, waivers, loans and transfers, amateur call-up, disabled list, season-ending injury replacement, goalkeeper replacement. So if those are the only ways to add a player to your roster, then someone graduating from high school, I guess college draft is the only way that they can enter. Well, that seems like bullshit. But also fair. It's fair and bullshit. 
<laughs> it's fair and bullshit. I guess that's the name of this episode. <laughs> we don't have to do our thing anymore. <laughs> our lifetime thing? Yeah! I don't know if people noticed, but this year we tried to follow a pattern where we named our episodes uh, after lifetime movies. Congrats if you picked up on that. You you win if you picked up on it. Yeah. Nobody ever commented on it, so we weren't <laughs> sure if anybody was playing along with us. Yeah, we've been talking, and about it made naming ever it made naming every episode a little bit more difficult. We've been talking for a while now, so sorry if we didn't get to your question. Hopefully, we answered some of the bigger ones. I think that's a lot of stuff to think about for 2018, like a lot, on top of just you know regular existential horror. What do you think, Gab? I mean, we're two months into the silly season. I think we have three months left to go until we're satisfied with knowing what the season's going to look like. We get to start complaining about a, uh, a schedule soon. We have this whole thing in Philadelphia happening um, around the uh, the college draft. I, I think you're going to be there, right? The college draft? Yes, I will be there to party. No, I'll be there I to will not. <laughs> cover the draft and then sleep. Yeah, I will I will not be there. Um, but you know, this is the silly season. Um, so things are just gonna get sillier. I would not uh I would not buy a Kelly O'Hara Royals kit at this point in time. I think she will see another team very soon. Um, what do, what do you think? What are how are you feeling about 2018? I think apparently somebody in Utah tweeted already saw a welcome to the family Utah Royals billboard for Kelly O'Hara on I-15. What? It's it must be one of those electronic billboards where you can easily change the image. It's not like a paper billboard. They didn't have. I like... I I want a photo of whatever it was. Um, that is from Anna Wentham on Twitter. So. Anna, Anna, turn around, go take a photo. Yes, Anna, go back out into the cold night, park your car on the side of the highway, don't use your phone while you're driving, take a picture of this, and, like, spend, you know, take a good 30 minutes out of your day just for us. Yes. Do it. <laughs> Do it. Do it. That's interesting. I mean, if they trade Kelly O'Hara, that's that's billboard money that they wasted, so. Okay, did they even do it? I don't There's know. There's some crazy Woso fans. Why would she lie about seeing a Utah Royals billboard on I-15? That's a very no, specific no, 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 detail. No, 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 no. I'm not saying I'm not saying that that our Twitter follower is lying. I'm saying that could a fan have put that billboard? If you're saying it's a digital display, uh-huh. could a fan have done that? Oh, interesting. Oh, also, it's Anna went home, not Anna went home. I'm bad at <laughs> there's no like spaces or capitals in here so you just have to like however your brain registers it okay Anna Wentham <laughs> I'm like Wentham that sounds like a city in Massachusetts you know Wentham well okay again let's close out by what's what's one thing that you hope for in 2018 for Woso just good or bad I would love for NWSL to have a not 1 o'clock p.m. recurring time slot on Lifetime TV. Oh, that's a good one. That is, that is the thing that I wish for uh, the immediate future. What about you? 
for the immediate future, I want Boston to announce who their GD new owners are. <laughs> That's what I Wait, want. Wait, they have new owners? Did you see the thing where Boston Breakers are looking for a new ownership and they think they have someone on the line, but he, the, this group doesn't know if they can buy in for 2018 yet? So it's all up in the air. I mean, I always, I always knew that they wanted new owners, but I didn't realize they were like Boston shopping was, right now. Boston was one of the teams that could have moved to Utah. It was between them and FC Casey, and because Casey, I think, folded first, they were the ones who went. Boston could have moved. What? God, where have you been? I know you were working really hard for the past couple of months, but it just feels like, you know, like I could have, like I could. It feels like I, I have all this momentous shit, and then you're just like, oh, I didn't know you were pregnant. I'd be like, yeah, dude, for three months now. I had no idea that Boston was the team that could have moved. Yeah. I had, like, five heart attacks. I'm just right now. Chard, Chard Farley, like, printed this shit. Dude, I, I have legit, I have stuck my head in my work sand, and I have not paid attention to anything Honestly, else. Honestly, keep what it there. The hell? Just keep it there, and then resurface again in April, and, like... Watch one of those, and that's what you missed on Glee recaps. Like I know, right? Can you avoid can the you stress? Produce one? Yeah, sure. Can you produce one? Sure, I will. Um, can it be like a five-minute episode, and you just kind of run through all the shit that happened with all the like mini sound bites? I'll get Kristen Bell to narrate it, like Gossip Girl. Oh my God! Please, <laughs> oh, please. Okay. So those are our hopes and dreams for 2018. Maybe they're the year... I think they're realistic. They're realistic, yeah. I got pretty drunk at the bar. I mean, Boston has been tweeting... I'm yelling now. Boston has been tweeting, like, they're going to exist for the draft and stuff, and, and, like, players will be around (laughs) next season, so... Thanks, everybody, for another year of listening to Two Drunk Fans. We know that it wasn't the most regular podcast, but we're not the most regular people, (laughs) I guess. Need more fiber in my diet. Hope you have a good Dude, new year. Like, let's just let's just keep riding this wild ride and see what it, what it does. Name your sex tape. Hey, <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll I'll take it. Also, I'm name down. your sex tape. Wow, just one I, after the other. I'm I am down. Okay.